Hello, you're listening to the Australian Writers' Centre podcast on writers and writing. My name's Valerie Koo and you can find us online at writerscentre.com.au. We're Australia's leading writing centre and you'll find a wealth of resources on our website and blog, including interviews with authors, writing tips and valuable ideas on how to get published and write with confidence. Whether you're interested in writing a novel, short story or articles for magazines, you'll find information and courses to help you get there. Or if you want to hone your business writing skills, we can help you too. Our presenters are the best in the industry. Our team is passionate about all things writing and in these podcasts, we'll be talking to best-selling authors on their craft. We hope you enjoy today's podcast. Hi, I'm Danielle Williams from the Australian Writers' Centre. I'm here at the Sydney Writers' Festival and I'm about to chat to one of my favourite authors, William Dalrymple. Thank you so much for speaking to us, William. Uh, First of all, let's talk about the latest book, Return of a King. Well, Return of a King uh, is a whopping great 600-page doorstopper about the um, greatest imperial disaster the British Empire ever suffered. In 1839, 18,000 East India Company troops, 30,000 camels, 20,000 camp followers marched into Afghanistan, along with 300 camels full carrying the regimental wine cellar, 30 carrying cheroots and cigars, one carrying eau de cologne, um, and they put back on the throne of of Afghanistan the ruler who'd been chucked out 30 years earlier, Shah Shuja. Um, 18 months later, the British are routed in a major insurgency, they surrender, they march back to India, and of the 18,500 who leave Kabul, one man makes it back to Jalalabad. It's a complete wipeout. And uh, uh, it's the story of what is to the British their greatest imperial humiliation, but what for the Afghans is their founding myth. What, you know, the kind of Battle of Britain and Trafalgar is to the Brits, what uh, Michael Collins and the Easter Rising is to the Irish, what... Garibaldi and the Risorgimento is to the Italians or, you know, Washington and Yorktown is to the Yanks, this is to the Afghans and this is something they remember and it's, 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 it's the most crucial moment in their history and, and whenever other new imperial powers come and try and uh, uh, throw their weight around in Afghanistan they just remember this and, uh, and smile. <laughs> so um, we see a lot of Afghanistan in the news, it's generally not positive. What do you hope readers will gain from reading this book about Afghanistan? Well, this is not a, a political book about modern Afghanistan, um, and it's not meant to be a, a how-to guide to, to, for future imperialists or anything like that. It's a account of a, it's a history book about a period of history, and um, I'd hope, first and foremost, they would get what they get from a, any good novel or any good work literature, which is yeah, an amazing cast of characters, extraordinary story, um, and um, hopefully written in a way that's, that's very accessible and interesting. I mean, first and primarily, this is a book that's been written to be read. Um, it's not a, it's not, it's not a, a, a one, one-stop panacea for, uh, for colonial cock-ups in Afghanistan. But I think, obviously, it does have contemporary resonances, and that is one of the reasons I wrote it, uh, is that we've been there before, and we just never seem to learn the lessons of history. As, as Hegel famously said, uh, the one thing you learn from history is that no one learns from history. Yes, that's true. Um, and as a historian, I mean, you must find yourself shaking your head in dismay sometimes when you're doing research and you realise that, you know, we've done all this again. Yeah, it's I mean, it's, it's, it's astonishingly like to the point whereby the guy we put in last time, Shah Shuja, he was the head of the Popolzai tribe. The current head of the Popolzai tribe is Hamid Karzai, the tribe that brought down Shah Shuja, the Gilzai, who today make up the, uh, the um, 
foot soldiers of the Taliban and the chief of the Hotakite Gilzai, who the, the, the leader of them all, is Malroma. Yeah. So it's exactly the same tribal struggle 170 years later. And the British have made, made the same mistakes then as we make now. They go into a country without any clear uh, idea how to get out. They outstay their welcome and they, and they leave slightly with their tail through their legs, just like uh, the Aussies, the Brits and the Americans are doing at the moment. Um, just on the research, um, you're no stranger to research, obviously, but this is this is big book, as it's you said. Monster. It's a doorstopper. It's, <laughs> um, it's an offensive weapon. Yeah. You get confronted just about, by yeah. some, some strange man in, the, in an alleyway on your way home. You yes. can throw a copy of Return of a King at them yes. and uh, live to tell the tale. <laughs> so when you research something like this... How long does it take, and when do you know when to stop? How do you know when to stop? <laughs> Some might say I didn't know when to stop. <laughs> um, these sort of books, big narrative histories, are major projects. You, you, you only go into them if you have three or four years, maybe five or six years spare, um, and uh, are sure that somebody wants to read it at the end of it. So in a sense, it's quite a gamble. It's like you know, sort of starting a business and, uh, and investing all your resources into it. Uh, luckily, I mean, because Afghanistan is in the news, I was fairly hopeful that, yeah. that we'd have a market at the end of it. This is something people would want to read all over the world. There are 60 nations with troops in Afghanistan. <laughs> These are calculations you make. You know, you, have, you really do. When, you, when you're starting something like this, you don't do it lightly. Uh, I do travel books as well, and they take a lot less work. They're often more difficult in the writing. Um, but uh, in terms of shared resources and so on. So, no, I mean, you... I have a very old-fashioned system. I use card indexes. I use a dateline on my laptop, and over a period of four or five years, we'll gather material, um, easily gatherable stuff in Delhi, uh, in Pakistan, in Lahore, in uh, more difficult uh, gathering stuff from uh, from Kandahar, Herat, Kabul, Jalalabad, uh, and you certainly take your life into your hands when you go certainly to Kandahar. Um, I mean, Kabul's fine, but. Uh, yeah. Jalalabad and uh, Kandahar are not two places I'm going to be rushing back to anytime soon, I think. No, but and having been to those places, did that... I mean, that must have impacted the way you wrote about these places well, I don't think book. you can write about a place or a, a country without going there. I mean, quite clearly, you, I mean, if you could write a history of Sydney, it would help if you visited Sydney. <laughs> but, um, so, you know, Sydney's relatively safe to visit, so I guess... Oh, I don't know. <laughs> Friday night... <laughs> No, it's, it's, you have to, uh, clear, clearly you have to visit, and, and um, I would never trust a book by anyone who, who wrote about a place without visiting it. It's clearly a recipe for disaster. The, um, oh yeah, some bits are much easier. Kabul is, a, is like a kind of French finishing school. There's lots of gorgeous French girls there sort of working for NGOs. It's, it's fine, really. I mean, occasionally something goes wrong. But, but Kandahar is the assassination capital of Afghanistan. And the year I was there, the governor, the deputy governor, the police chief and the mayor all got shot dead. So uh, I got a bullet in the back of my car. As I arrived, I mean, as we drove out the airport perimeter, we had a sniper bullet in the back of the thing. Luckily, it was an armoured vehicle. But Did you ever reconsider? Well, I was off for the next plane. <laughs> but I got some research done in between. Yeah. But uh, did that ever make you think twice about finishing the book? No, I think once you start a project like this, you, I mean, you don't knowingly ever put yourself... I mean, I certainly don't go that I mean, knowingly into shooting wars. I wasn't off embedding in Helmand or, you know, kind of looking for the Taliban. I, I was unlucky in Canada, and I think that was the one place I went which really was... was, was uh, I was out of my depth. Um, but, I mean, most... I mean, Herat was fine, Mazar sharif was fine, Kabul was fine. Um, you can do a lot of stuff. In a sense, the greater challenge is organising this stuff. Um, you produce... You know, I've got ten major Afghan sources, 
my 19th century diary is, is not good enough to rely on. So I, I, I worked with a friend who's worked with me on two previous books, Bruce Wannell. He came and lived with me and we worked through the diary sources. And then you have to file it all. And you have, I have file indexes for, by personality, by name, uh, name indexes, by, um, by topics, by place, by... Uh, and so on. So it's, it's like, I mean, I analogize on these as Chinese cooking. Uh, you, you spend hours chopping this stuff up and preparing it. Uh, but the actual cooking process, well, if you've got all that ready and it's all nicely prepared and you've got your spring onions in one little pile and your coriander in another and your, your oil's already in the frying pan, it should be a very quick cooking process. And, and, and what I do certainly is I close down, I lock down. It's like doing finals or doing an exam or something. You just block off nine months. And you don't go out to lunch ever. You only go out to dinner a couple of times a week, max. Um, you get up very early. You're disciplined. You get fit, uh, and you really go for it. And you write that monster like this in nine months. Yeah. Because that was actually going to be my next question. Um, and you make it sound relatively easy. Well, I think I mean the, my my system is really quite simple. After I've got this all ready, and the date line has grown from four or five pages at the beginning to by the time you're nearly writing, it's about 400 pages long with all the different events yeah. chronologically organised, with a little code that you make yourself where you find it, whether it's a book in your bookshelf or a particular file in your filing cabinet, whatever, you know, whatever you're doing. So the immediate... And you're, the quotes, in a sense, ready diced. You've ready cut them all up into the manageable bits that you want to use. And, and So everything is processed. Once that's ready, my system is simple. I print out the day's work before I go to bed, have it by my bed when I wake up, Hopefully get up about half past five or six. Doesn't always work out like that, but I mean early. Um, and you sit outside and you correct the manuscript. Um, you type it in, uh, all the corrections. And with a bit of luck, you, should, you know, have lunch, go for a jog, get some exercise, whatever. You should be ready to roll the new stuff by about half past nine, ten in the morning. Um, and I work through till two. And that's my main bit of the working day. Um, after that, you start doing emails, all the bollocks of normal living, you know, shopping, do the washing up, all, all the stuff you have to do, um, looking after your kids, all, you know, that kind of stuff. And um, then have another little go in the evening between, you know, sort of five and seven or five and eight or something, um, preparing the next day, uh, correcting what I've done in the morning, thinking how I'm going to organise the next bit. Um, and then again, last thing at night. Normally, if I'm if I'm writing a book, I'm sort of you know, sitting watching 24, Breaking Bad, and falling asleep by about nine o'clock, <laughs> snoring in front of the telly to the annoyance of my kids. Um, but last thing is you print out the day's work and you have it by your bed. So the first, and often you, I find that you, I mean, if you're if it's really working. You're, you're even dreaming about it. It's there. I mean, you're not easy. It's not famous. I mean, writers are not easy to live with at the best of times for a whole variety of good reasons. And I think they're particularly difficult to live with um, when they're mid book. Because if, if I think it's, I think it's a similar process whether it's fiction or non-fiction. If you're imaginatively embedded in that world. Um, you're not wholly present at meals. Um, you know, occasionally, you, you know, you can have a good party and you do forget about your book for an hour or two. But I mean, when I'm writing it, I'm really living in it in a really quite major way. And one of the nice things about publishing a book and other people reading it is that these guys you've been living with, because you know, as well as living with your family, wife, your your mates, and you know, your colleagues, you've also got this whole cast of people who are absolutely present in your life who died 170 years ago. Yes. Um, and it's quite difficult to interest people in them. <laughs> <laughs> in general, <laughs> but particularly when you haven't written the book. But after the book is written, suddenly you have a whole lot of you know, anxious readers who spend a week sort of sitting, waiting through it. And um, 
I was longing to chat to you about all the you know, Alexander Burns or Shah Shuja or Dost Mohammed, and that's a great treat when suddenly you can, you can have conversations about the, your, your friends that you've been, <laughs> been hanging out with. <laughs> so is this a system you've honed yeah. over the years? I, I, when I started writing, I mean, I used to be a travel writer, and, and it was a, very, it's a very, totally different process when you're, when you're collecting interviews and notebooks. And I find writing travel books actually far more difficult because you have less of a story to go on. This, is, if you have a really good backbone to a narrative backbone, it should be a relatively easy thing uh, to, to, to actually get the writing done, particularly if everything's cut up and ready to go. You know, but. Um, the process of, uh, of writing a history book is, is, is a relatively simple one and, and I talked to some other people like um, Amanda Foreman who wrote Georgina, Duchess of Devonshire and Stella Tilliard who did Aristocrats and, and asked for their systems and what their... Because you have to find a way that suits you of, of, of holding huge masses of data in a, in, a, in, a, in a format that you can immediately access and, uh, and, and, and get access and, locate, uh, say whatever your system is, you know, different things work for different people, but um, whatever it is, you've got to be able to instantly access that quote, that particular document, that thing you read four years earlier, possibly, uh, you know, and, uh, and know where it came from and get it into, into the text. And if it's working well, it should be a system whereby, you know, you can, you can do two or three pages a day, you can, uh, or even three or four if, on a good day, you know. Um, I would love to chat to you all night about everything to do with history and writing, but just one final question. What is your advice to writers who are interested in taking in a project, taking on a project like this? Well, these are, if you're doing a big narrative history book, it's a big project, and you, and you really need to find the subject that's going to... I mean, I mean you've got to find the resources to, to do it, and, and maybe an advance from a publisher or a grant from some... You don't do it lightly. I mean, a, a novel or a travel book, you can knock off in a couple of years. These things often, to do properly, a big biography, a big history book, is three or four years' work minimum. Uh, it's like doing a PhD, really, and, uh, and, you've, got to, and you've, got to clear some, you've got to clear some space. With um, The other thing is that the key advice to any young writer is no one knows whether they can write a book until they've written one. Uh, and that's just the way it is. And, it, and it's a really difficult thing, even if you know you can do it. And so you know, the, the process of self-doubt you go through in your first book is, is a desperate thing, however confident you are, and, and often people aren't terribly confident. And the, only, the, the best bit of advice I can offer is, is just persevere um, and, and push on. Um, and don't be appalled how bad your writing is to begin with. Um, finished writing that you read in books is, comes at the end of many, many drafts and many, many people editing it and making it better. And everyone writes only okay to begin with. That beautiful prose that you read in, in your favourite writer's best passages comes from revision after revision after revision. And, and it's, like a, it's like a sculpture, is, is, is the nearest analogy, where, where you're continually removing the bad bits or the bits you don't want until you're left with the perfect sculpture. Um, and you don't, and it never, I mean, no, very, very few writers that I know write beautifully and brilliantly straight up. That perfection and polish comes from draft after draft after draft and, and honing it and polishing it and honing it and polishing it and, and stopping and leaving it in a drawer and coming back to it and, and playing with it a bit more, you know, and, 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 that, and that's how it happens. So initially, whatever you are, however good you are, what you write is not going to be that good to begin with. And don't be put off. <laughs> okay. It's excellent advice. Thank you so much, William. Um, I will eventually get through the book, I promise. Thank you. Thank you. All right. 
You've been listening to the team from the Australian Writers' Centre podcast on writers and writing. My name's Valerie Koo. You can find us online at writerscentre.com.au and discover details about our courses, seminars and popular online learning programs where we help students from all over the world. I'm author of the book Power Stories, the eight stories you must tell to build an epic business. And you can find out more on my personal website, ValerieKoo.com. That's Valerie, K-H-O-O.com. Thank you for listening.